Basic Bible 101. We are covering the New Testament. Last podcast was our first session in the New Testament. And today we are going to pick up where we left off with um, Jesus as he is a young man and he has just been baptized. And we're going to find out what did he do next? How did he begin to prepare himself for entering what uh, God had called him to do? So uh, if you have just now started tuning in, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to the very first Basic Bible Podcast, and then perhaps last week if you want to start with the New Testament. The Old Testament is still up there for anyone who would like to go back and uh, cover the Old Testament first. Okay, so in today's lesson, let's turn to Luke 4. Now remember last week there were several amazing circumstances that came about at Jesus' birth. The fact that there was a host of angels that proclaimed him as the Messiah, uh, that there that Mary and Joseph uh, happened to be in Bethlehem, which was the place that was foretold as the birth of the Savior, that uh, Mary was a virgin when she was indwelt with the Holy Spirit and uh, pregnant and became the mother of Jesus, and that uh, a giant star appeared in the sky and that some astrologers or you know, I tried to think of it what we could equate those magi um, with at, in our day and age. And the closest I can think of might be like economists or people who see something coming and they say, wait a minute, we need to act on this right now. Possibly even the um, scientists, what have you. They were not particularly, they didn't worship the stars, but they did foresee in the stars events that happened. Um, so when we see them coming to, to visit Jesus, and they're not um, necessarily worshipers of God, and yet uh, through this they may very well have become worshipers of God, uh, understanding that this new child, who this new child was. Okay, so we see that Jesus went to see his good cousin John the Baptist and was baptized, and that in that experience, the Holy Spirit just kind of came and dwelt upon him. And so he heads out to the wilderness all alone by himself. Uh, This begins in Luke chapter 4. Okay, Uh, let's begin. We'll just read through some of these first verses and we can start to see what's happening in the temptation of Jesus. Now, this has been covered by Hollywood in various forms. Uh, It's really good that we're going to go back to the original and read it the way it actually happened. Okay, Luke 4, chapter, or chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in, in the desert, where for forty days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man does not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor, for it has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered, It is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil then led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. 
Jesus answered, It says, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until a more opportune time. I guess just until an opportune time. Okay, so we see at this point that Jesus has been dedicating his ta- this time to just in fasting and in prayer, and the devil shows up. Okay, we know, what do we know about the devil? We know that he was originally an angel who rebelled against God. We see in uh, some of the parts of the New Testament, which we will cover more later, uh, in Second Peter 2, uh, and 4, and Jude 6, Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. Um, the first thing we hear about uh, the devil is in Job, chapter 1, this is in the Old Testament, where the devil comes before Jesus and wants, or before God and wants to tempt one of God's servants, uh, one of his people down on earth, which happened to be Job. And so we see this back and forth between God and the devil. Now the devil is not as some people have thought, uh, some little red guy with horns who goes around, you know, sitting on your shoulder and whispering bad things to you. Uh, the truth is that the devil is real, it's a spiritual power, and it is, he is, um, been given the right to get, uh, wreck all kind of havoc upon the world around us. And so we live in a world that, uh, Satan runs through back and forth through freely. Although it appears that he is also able to come before God in heaven. So spiritual beings, as we can see from this, from our understanding of uh, the devil and the different passages that have talked about him, uh, spiritual beings are not bound by, um, you know, the earth or the sky or wherever. They can kind of tend to move in and out of um, entities in uh, for what we would know as reality. So... Uh, if you want to read more about some passages about who the devil is and how he came about and all that, the student workbook has a little uh, section on, the, on one of the sidebars with all kinds of different verses. You can also find that information in Gruden's um, uh, Systematic Theology or several other um, good commentaries that talk about what the Bible says about Satan. But for our purposes, we are just going to assume that Satan is, that he is real, and that he interacts with Jesus uh, from time to time. And that Jesus uh, actually sees him for who he is and is not, does not fall to that temptation. The reason that it's so important that Jesus doesn't fall to that temptation is because we know that we being born into sin that from the very beginning and those of you that went back and listened to the very first podcast or second podcast about Adam and Eve and the creation of the world that we when we were born and when um, uh, because we were children of Adam and Eve that we were born into sin that that we are fallen individuals by our very nature everything about us wants to be selfish wants to uh, live for uh, and do what we want and not what God would want. And even though we were created to glorify God, our very nature is one of turning away from Him and choosing instead to go our own way. And because of that, and Jesus was a, a, a man, just, you know, the flesh like us, and He was just as tempted by Satan, but He did not um, fall to that temptation. I think mainly because He was also God. 
in the flesh and was able to um, say, no, I won't do that. But you know what? He, because he was God, certainly could have chosen to go a different path away from his father in heaven. And so when we look at the uh, future of what Jesus will become and, and how he will eventually die for our sins, he is able to do that because he lived a sinless life. And so when we see this, this is one of the first parts of, of Scripture where we can see that Jesus could have changed the entire direction of what his purpose on this earth was. And we could be living in a totally different world today. But because Jesus was resisted the devil and turned from him and kept to the course, we now know that we have salvation through Jesus Christ. Okay, um, some of the things to keep in mind about temptation. Temptation is not a sin. Some people think that when they're tempted to do something wrong that they've already sinned. And the truth is that temptation comes to everyone, but how we respond to it determines whether we're going to fall into sin or whether we're going to be victorious. And there are several parts in scripture where it tells us how to avoid falling into sin. And so uh, if you will look at that, this passage, you can see that Jesus was somewhat pre, you know, disposed to be hungry and tired. And so when the devil comes to him and says, just turn this stone into bread, it's a very small minor thing. Who's going to know, right? But Jesus knows and he knows that the father knows and he refuses to go along with, with Satan's plan. I think in the same way for us that we have to be aware when we are weak, when we are tired, when we are hungry, when we are lonely. There are times in our life when we are more predisposed to fall into temptation. And, and we need to avoid those times and move more into uh, fellowship with other Christians, take care of ourselves, be aware of where we're at, and spend, be sure that we are spending time with the Lord. Okay. Um, Let's see, we talked a little bit about whether it was a sin to be tempted. Turn back to the book of James in your book, in your Bible. Uh, hopefully you're using the student Bible or another um, version of the Bible that is um, more studious in nature. Uh, James chat is really quite a ways back uh, towards the end of the Bible. And in his book, if you're using the student Bible, it's going to be around 1300, 1321, some in that nature. Uh, uh, James 1, 13 through 17, we're going to read that for just a minute here. It says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when by his own evil nature he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So we know that we can see right here that everyone is tempted, but when we are tempted, we can't say, well, the devil made me do it, or God just allowed this to happen. Instead, we have to look and say that sin is conceived when we consider the sin, when we, we think that maybe we could get away with it. And it just starts as a small idea, and then it rolls into an action, and the action results in death. And you're probably saying, oh no, I can sin and it doesn't re result in death. But I would uh, challenge you to say that part of your soul dies when you fall away from what you know to be true and the right thing. 
and and many times no one sins in a vacuum our sin affects others even when we think it doesn't when we think no one knows it does so I just want to encourage you to be strong and to fight against the temptations that may be coming your way okay uh, can you see in this case that if Jesus had listened to Satan and had said yes I want all the kingdoms of the earth that then he would never have died for our sins and so people everywhere would still be in the sinful state with without a Messiah now I know that God would have worked his will one way or another because that's how God is he of course is always in control but it's amazing to me that Jesus was able to see the future enough um, and say no I'm not going to take that path that's the easy path I'm going to take the path that's been laid out for me by the Father Okay, so let's then now turn and look at some of the um, reasons why we might tend to look at temptation and say, well, the end justifies the means. You know, if Jesus was going to be ruler over all of the earth anyway, he could have decided, I'm just going to do it my way. And many times that's what we do in justifying sin. We say, well, I know that this is going to end up this way and that's ultimately for the good so I'll just go ahead and take the shortcut instead of taking the way that the Lord has planned for us to take the right way that because the end does not justify the means the means are following God every day the way that we know we are to be obedient to him and not trying to bring about his will our own way okay there really is no shortcuts if you think about it uh, when we think that we have a better idea than God's inevitably we are wrong and so it's better to just wait on the Lord and see what he has planned and there's so many different examples we can look at of this okay so the third temptation offered by Satan let's look at that prove that you're the son of God how did Jesus answer in every case here he answers with scripture he refers back to the Word of God this is a great truth for us too if we have God's Word in our heart and we have spent time reading it and studying it then we're going to recognize when we're being tempted and when that is contrary to what we know God's Word says and so we can see that no matter what happened in the way of temptation Jesus was able to fall back on what he knew in scripture and uh, use it against Satan. Did you notice that Satan also knew scripture? He would say, well it is written. He was able to argue scripture. And once again, I would caution you about arguing scripture. Rather, hold that scripture in your heart and do what it says. Because if your life is so filled with what you know to be truth, then you will recognize falsehood fairly quickly. It's kind of when they train tellers, how they train them with real money, so that they learn to recognize and feel what real money looks like. And then when a counterfeit dollar comes across, they can see something is different. And that is the way our lives should be in reflecting what we've learned in scripture and what we know to be false. Okay, um, so Jesus has this time in the wilderness and it would have been easy for Jesus to have just thrown off what was supposed to happen, to show off for Satan, to uh, sure enough jump from the temple and show that he is powerful and all the angels would come and rescue him. But instead he lives a humble and meager life. He uh, takes all the glory and all the power that is his and subjugates it to his ultimate purpose on this earth. 
and to the Father's will. And so we see that even at this point, uh, that, that Satan was not successful and would not be successful. Even in the garden, which we will look at at the end of the study of the Gospels, when Jesus is facing the crucifixion, Satan is still trying to get Jesus off course, and Jesus is still clinging to what he knows to be the Father's will. Okay, uh, James 4, if you're still in the book of James 4, you will see in verses 7 through 10 how to resist Satan. To, to just, when you see him, just move away, to run away, to uh, not entertain thoughts of that you know are not going to uh, build you up and make you more like God wants you to be. All right, so now after this time, Jesus returns and he begins to talk with um, John's disciples and uh, we see one of the first miracles that he does look in uh, the book of John we're going to turn to the book of John which is after the book of Luke uh, I know that you're probably thinking well we really are jumping around quite a bit and so in supplementing the book of Luke we will be pulling from different other uh, gospel passages and in this particular one in the chapter 2 Jesus is at a wedding and he's with his mom, and there's apparently a lot of folks that they know, and they've shown up for the wedding. And Mary comes to him and explains that they've ran out of wine, and they need his help. And Jesus looks at her and says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? It is not my time yet. All right, this says so much. It says that Mary recognized his uniqueness and his ability to do miracles I suspect he had been doing them all along, but we see here that, that Mary obviously knows that Jesus can fix the situation, and she goes to him. Then we see that Jesus isn't quite sure <laughs> that a, providing wine for a wedding is the best place to show off his skills, but because he respects his mother and because of his ultimate great understanding that people he wants people to understand that he is the Messiah and yet he doesn't want that to become uh, to the point where then he's going to hurry and be hauled off and killed before he has a chance to do his ministry so there is this this tension between it's not yet my time but he loves his mother and he says okay tell them to go fill tell the servants to go fill six jars of water and then he says tells one of the servants to draw some of the water and take it to the master of the banquet and when he does that water has been turned into wine and it's not just any wine it's the very best wine so there is this amazing uh, astonishment among those who went to the uh, wedding that they are serving such good wine usually they save the good wine for last when everybody's already had too much and so you know we're, this is one of the first, well, it is the first uh, recorded miracle of Jesus. So people begin realizing that there's something different about Jesus. And, and that Sabbath, the Jews are celebrating Friday night and Saturday night is a holy time. But Jesus stood in the synagogue in Nazareth and he started reading some scriptures pertaining to the coming Messiah. And as he does, the people are astonished and skeptical because he isn't reading it just like, and so it was written. He is reading it like it totally pertains to him. And they're surprised that he ha reads it with such authority and with such conviction that this is talking about uh, his being here as the Messiah. 
Okay, but because of their disbelief, because they just couldn't believe this Joseph's son, who is just a commoner and has lived among them, uh, they, Jesus pretty much leaves them and begins the process of um, gathering to himself disciples and, and moving throughout the, the region. Uh, Luke chapter 5, let's turn back to that is where Jesus begins to call uh, his disciples. And there are two brothers who are fishing, and Jesus comes up to them and says, uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so they follow him. And throughout the, the calling of the disciples, there's a sense that this man has something special that he is planning. Uh, there's something unique about his words and just about being with him. And so... Uh, we we see the at the very beginning here how he calls Levi. Levi is this is in chapter five of Luke. Levi is a tax collector. He's not somebody that would be a very uh, fun person to hang around because really he's like, kind of like having an IRS agent as a good friend and that knows that you have more money than you should have or what have you. You know, there's a sense that we want to distance ourselves from the law, and so we see that. And of course, back in those days, the tax collectors were mostly corrupt. But Jesus calls forth Levi, who is also called Matthew, and says, you know, come with me. So throughout this process, uh, Jesus is at the same time healing people. He heals a man with leprosy. He heals a paralytic. And he, uh, in the process of just doing, living his normal life, uh, pulls some grains of uh, wheat and grinds them up on a Sunday, which is just blasphemous because remember we had learned in the Old Testament the importance of keeping the Sabbath. Well, the Pharisees had brought that to a whole new art. In fact, the Sabbath was so uh, measured that it, you could even it was even determined how many steps you could take on the Sabbath. Uh, you were to do no work whatsoever. And they considered this little bit of him grinding up some kernels of grain to make bread uh, a type of work and so they are critical of him from the beginning uh, this is when they very first start realizing who is this man who comes along and preaches about God as if he were God himself or certainly well aware of God and then at the same time doesn't give much heed to our strict laws and so that doesn't set very well with the um, established religious but to the everyday man, Jesus is uh, a breath of fresh air. I mean, he preaches hope and truth and uh, things that they care about. He, he's with them where they live. Okay, let's look at Luke 5 for a second, verses 1 through 11. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, Gennesaret, I don't know how you say it, <laughs> with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God. And he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Why would Jesus do that? Why would he teach them from a boat? Any of you that have been around a lake know how easy sound travels across water. In fact, many times you can hear things even going on in, sh on in shore when you're out on a boat. And so 
By Jesus going out onto the boat, he was, was able to project his message much further to the people that were gathering around. Okay, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night. We've caught nothing, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Then Simon Peter saw this. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his com companions were astonished at the catch of the day they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, uh, Simon's partners. Okay, when Jesus talks to this group of common fishermen, and he says to Simon, Don't be afraid, from now on you will catch men. So they pulled their boats up on shore and left everything and followed him. Alright, let's talk about that. When you're called by God, when you sense the Holy Spirit drawing you to the Lord, is your response to drop everything and follow? Most of the time, and I know my predisposition is one of saying, wait a minute, I'm not sure God's really asking me uh, uh, this of me, or that he's really tugging me, or maybe this is just, you know, my own conscience kind of telling me something that maybe might not be true. I mean, we know the psychobabble about how sometimes uh, we can tell ourselves lies and and so to really hear and listen to what the Spirit is saying within us, it requires us to spend time alone and time with God and time in His Word and listen. And then when God says, come, follow me, we'll be willing to drop our nets or whatever we're doing and follow Him. We see this over and over when Jesus comes to someone and He wants them to come along with Him. He just merely says, come with me. And that person drops whatever they're doing and they follow Jesus. What an amazing thing that this man had such power over people that they were willing to leave their livelihood, their family, all of their friends, everything that they knew, and all of their money and just follow Jesus. But that's what's happening here, answering the call that God gave to each of these disciples, and not just the 12 that we hear about. Other people started following him. and as they did too, they left behind their responsibilities, their livelihood, their uh, food. They became dependent on Jesus. And because of that, um, we will see that Jesus was able to care for these people. He was able to love and provide for them uh, at, as needed. You know, when they needed to be healed, he was able to heal. When they needed food, he was able to feed. When they needed understanding and love, he was able to give that. And eventually, when they needed a savior, when they needed healing from sin, he was able to do that too. So I want to encourage you to spend some time in the next few weeks reading more about what Jesus did. As he began to preach around Galilee, the crowds are mesmerized by what he preaches. And next week we will talk about some of his teachings and ha the effect that it had on people. But at this point, just look and see what the responses were to Jesus when, uh, they, when he called people. And ask yourself, would I be as willing and am I as willing now to follow what, what I know to be God's calling to, for me? 
Okay, some conclusions to remember from this that sin caused man to be separated from God and that sin spoils everything. It separates families, it destroys confidence and trust in God. That right here, uh, Jesus could have changed the entire direction but of, of history, but through him, by his determination to avoid sin and temptation and to follow God, it changed the course of our lives. Um, okay, for next week, it, uh, I would encourage you to go ahead and read the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew 5 and 7. And if you have time, read Mark 4, uh, Luke 6, 8, 15. The, these passages will help you when answering the homework questions. And I hope that you have taken some time to go ahead and continue your reading. And I want uh, so that uh, as we get to the through the first year of what Jesus, his teachings, and the effect he was having on people, you will be able to recall from your own reading examples that we will um, talk about. And until then, I just say thank you so much for joining us, and uh, ask that you would be faithful to read your passages and do your homework. Okay, be blessed. Mm -hmm.